three, two, one. How are you doing? I'm doing good, buddy. What's going on? Dude, I am here. This is exciting. This is going to be an exciting time because we have our first guest so early in the show, our boy. Well, we're boys now. Hopped <laughs> on the show. We're automatically boys, right? That, those are the rules, right? Facts, facts. We have Bryson, the NFT gamer, recently signed Vayner Sports, right? Focuses on NFTs. We know all about that. He, he spoke at VCon. He is a Twitch streamer, and he's also a co-founder about Loot Bolt. So Bryson, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. It's dope. I haven't got to talk too much sports and Web3 um, since I entered the space, and it feels like a long time ago, but it's only been like a year and a half. So uh, it's exciting to be chatting with you guys about one of the, I would say, bigger Web3-related gaming experiences that is going to be gracing us over the next couple of months as the NBA season gets ready to kick off. Oh, yeah. If, if anybody knows anything and anybody that's been in crypto knows that this space moves incredibly fast. It is hard to keep up sometimes. There's so many products in and out all the time. You never really know where to go. But the sports, everybody knows sports is a huge industry moving into NFTs. I think there really is something there and I'm excited to get into it. But Bryson, tell me, tell me a little bit about you. What do you do? What are you into? Tell me about Loot Bolt. What you got going on? Yeah, so I am a content creator, of course. I play Web3 games previously before I jumped into the space. I was a software engineer. I kind of stumbled upon this game back before the hack Axie Infinity um, and realized that Web3 was like a really, really cool use case for gaming. Um, at the time, I was a big Pokemon fan. And I was like, so you're telling me I can sell Pokemon and like make money from them after I've been playing Pokemon all these years? <laughs> you know, dove really deep, the streaming career, all that stuff took off. Um, eventually realized there was a space to start a, a Web3 based company around community building. Um, so I launched the company. Uh, we raised about $5 million last year in our seed round with Delphi Digital. So half my day is content creator. The other half is CEO and helping push forward the Web3 gaming uh, revolution. Oh, wow. That, dude, you, you have a lot on your plate. So yeah, it's, it's busy. I'm not going to lie. So, so, so what's that like as far as like the community building? So is it, are you, are you hopping into other spaces, kind of like helping them build a community within? Are you kind of advising? Like what you got going on? Yeah. So uh, our company is called Lou Bolt. And uh, one thing that we realized very early on is that a lot of these companies in the space struggle with building organic community, but beyond just building organic community, one thing that we really dove deep on was the idea that if you think about how people build or how there is brand loyalty created within a project, a lot of times it's like related to some sort of reward system. Like, oh, you buy five coffees at Starbucks and punch your card and you get the six one free. Well, not everybody spending money on a product, you know, is an actual loyal member or a loyal brand customer, but they still love the brand. Like, I, I, I think that there's a world of people out there who want to leverage their skills and talents in Web3 uh, in this kind of micro work economy that hasn't really been fleshed out. Uh, and we realized that there was no true way for community builders to not only be paid in Web3 for their work, but also be able to see uh, kind of the recognition or the fruits of that labor. Normally, it's if you're not like really active in a discord, just, you know, talking all day, or if you're not in every Twitter space or shit posting, uh, you're not really seen as a community builder. And it's like, you know, what about the guy who's an artist? What about the guy who's in TikTok? What about the guy who's making a podcast that helps that community grow? Um, so we built out a solution on top of Discord currently. Uh, that allows you to pretty much 
pay people out for micro tasks or micro work that we call bolts, B-O-L-T-S. Uh, and right now we're in about 30 discords. We service about uh, 300,000 members across those discord servers. Um, and also we've done about 20,000 bounty payouts since launching our pre-alpha. So working with some projects and ultimately expanding into like a much larger platform. But I think the future of like work in Web3 is very much predicated around how people leverage their talents in community building. So that's what I do from a from a company perspective. And then the other side, I'm just playing Web3 games as a content creator, play them all day, uh, make content on them, report on them, make YouTube videos, and still trying to find that one game or a couple of games where I'm just like, all right, this is my niche. Um, and I haven't found that after Axie. So still just having fun and trying to navigate uh, the space of, of content and gaming. Yeah, I mean, sounds like you really got a lot going on, kind of mixing the, uh, you know, business with pleasure, you know, running a running a company during the day, but then also being able to, you know, create content definitely sounds uh, like quite the life and definitely busy for sure. But if you could kind of fill in, you know, both myself and some of our listeners too, who, you know, aren't super familiar with Web3, um, just a, a quick little rundown on kind of what it is, you know, I know you keep mentioning community. So kind of going into that, um, and just kind of how that all ties in and all together. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of people have this misconception that Web3 is like some place that you can access. I had a friend of mine a while ago that was like, yo, how do I access Web3? Like, is, like, where is it at on the internet? I'm like, you know, it's not a place. It's more so kind of how we converse, how we interact as people, how we collaborate uh, in this world of crypto and decentralization. Uh, I think like, you know, when you think of where the biggest hub for Web3 is, it's undoubtedly Twitter. Uh, this is where most of the actual conversation happens. But uh, Web3 is about power going back into the hands of individual users, whether that's power over their data to make decisions and own it, uh, whether that's power over their ability to, like, in a sense, own their own money. So it's not sitting in a bank account. You're you're holding your own cryptocurrency. Some of that may be stable coins. Uh, some of it may be, you know, traditional cryptocurrency, but you own your currency. Uh, and beyond that, just having conversations around how people enter the space or how people continue to build applications that help with the acceleration of bringing in a more decentralized world. And decentralized just means kind of free market, free economy, uh, freedom to do and navigate as you please with um, as little oversight as possible. Of course, you have your good and your bad, which comes with that, like the ability of having more responsibility around crypto wallets. But the idea of Web3 is just hey, I am in a space where I'm interacting with other people who are very much focused on freedom and freedom and ownership over, uh, you know, the ability to have centralization taking a very uh, prevalent uh, initiative in how we ap operate day to day. So I know that was a lot, but hopefully it's a little bit helpful. No, no. And, and, and I think that's perfect, especially like coming like obviously we're here to talk some Silver and the new uh, Silver MBA that's coming out. And, you know, one of their slogans is own your game, you know, the just having the ability like anybody can go to DraftKings and do, you know, some like fantasy lightning draft and, you know, you get a salary cap and you pick these players and then you pay your money and then you're in and out. Right. That's it. But coming yeah. over to Silver, you're talking, hey, we can play this fantasy game. Now you're buying your favorite players like me personally, um, being from Orlando, big Orlando City fan. So nice. I have a bunch of Orlando City cards, whether I use them or not, whether they're great at fantasy or not. Like that is like something that I enjoy to do on the side. Right. But at the same time, I have these guys that I'm putting into lineups every week. And you're basically going through the whole season with these guys. Right. From ups and downs, the injuries in and out, in and out of lineups, you know, informed, not informed. Like it is one of the greatest things that comes from so rare. And, you know, that's why we're here. We're here for the community. We started this podcast over in the state, started to, you know, have nice. an outlet to the community, you know, like fantasy sports. There's a lot going on, a lot of players, a lot of teams, and just like having people within the community that care, that love the game that you're playing. And also there, you know, to help kind of guide you through 
the this is and that's and the ups and downs and it, sure. it, it's really an incredible place to be. Uh, as far as that though, like what your exposure for so rare, I know we were kind of talking, you got in really early. What, how early and what was it like? Uh, what did you see? What didn't you see? And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. I mean, I wasn't like one of the earliest folks in, I think around the time that uh, Mbappe was announced is when I like really dove deep on it. Um, and it was soccer. And I was like, all right, this is cool. Like there's some cards. I saw like the different games that you can enter and things of that sort. And I was a little bit interested. So I built out a team um, and bought a couple of cards. They weren't anything good at the time. This was like me just jumping in like, all right, let me just get some cheap things to make a lineup. Uh, of course, I didn't win anything, but it was a really cool experience. And I liked the idea of, okay, well, you own these cards. Very reminded, reminded me of like ultimate team, but you had the ability to win things that, you know, have some monetary value and, and like also like build up lineups, almost like a GM. Uh, but none of those, it wasn't too appealing in terms of the sports. I think when baseball got in, I was a bit more like excited for it because they have rights to all of the players versus in soccer. It's like the wild, wild west. It's team-based. Like, okay, this team gives me rights, then they're in, then you can use them, et cetera, et cetera. But um, my thoughts were, you know, once I saw baseball, I was like, there's a chance that they do something else. And then once they announced NBA, I was like, there's no sport that I watch more of than NBA. And I couldn't wait to eventually get a unique Steph Curry card. So I was like, all right, I can't wait to hop into this one. So as soon as I saw it announced, I was like, let's rock. No, uh, no, yeah, I think that's going to be, you know, having all the player rights, especially, you know, I, I jumped in once baseball came around. Um, so I really kind of just play the, the basic, you know, soccer lineups. I never really buy any cards for that and really just focus on baseball. But, you know, kind of like you mentioned, it's very team based. Um, I know we were talking before the show. You said you were a Chelsea fan, and I'm sorry, I'm a Tottenham fan. So a little bit of Chelsea, here, go but, Blues. But, uh, yes. but yeah, I mean, not having the Premier League as a as a Premier League fan was kind of tough. But you know, being on baseball, you have you know every player, you know, all the major league teams there. So you know, it was definitely kind of opened the door to seeing what was next. And you know, I'm kind of in that same boat. I'm a huge basketball fan. So when I saw you know that tweet come through, I think it was like 8:30 on a random morning. I was like sit yeah. like we're in like how could like when is this coming out like give me all the information so you know having every player you know kind of at your fingertips and not having to worry about you know licensing or anything like that is going to be i think huge both for sower and just for basketball fans as a whole no for sure and i mean from my perspective i've been looking for things to make content on for who knows god knows how long and how we bring people into the space i think the nba is a market that is so flushed out like a a, a child who's six years old knows it they know the term NBA. They know their favorite players. Like now it's a lot easier. I could go and, you know, simply I could make a scouting report TikTok where I'm like, did you see what Victor Wabinyama did last night? 37 Ooh. points against Scoot Ooh. Henderson. We're talking about so rare scouting. This is a player that you're going to want to look out for next Ooh. year as so rare collections to continue to curate in the NBA. Like so, so simple, so easy. Put a nice little clip of Victor dunking on somebody or hitting a step back jumper like Steph Curry in the background. And who knows how many views that could get on, you know, traditional platforms that bring people into so rare. And that's the thing that I think is like super cool about this. I think, I think we might be surprised to see how many teams uh, kind of maybe tank the season, try to get that. Uh, oh my God. Pick. They, after that performance last night, I don't know. Bro, he looked like he could go in the NBA right now and potentially be an, not an all-star. I think he goes in the NBA and is a potential like MVP candidate. If he gets with the team with the right touches for sure. Like he's, his game is too expansive. I'm pretty sure I saw something today on Twitter that somebody had said that he only missed the draft this year by like a couple of days. So he could have been in this class and uh, oh, as a man. magic fan. <laughs> hey, <laughs> So we, we literally, literally um, this close, this close, but you know, that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes. You know, what's weird. I want him to go to, I want, I want the New York Knicks to tank because 
as much as I don't care for the New York Knicks, he needs to be in one of those markets where, you know, he wakes up and like, it's up there. I think a small market team is great, but I want to see one of those big market teams that are shitty, really, like really bad right now, go out and get him like send him to New York. Uh, I don't, I don't know who else is like looking really poor in a big market right now, but take him somewhere where it's like, okay, he's going to have all the lights on him. And like the media is going to be down his throat every single week. Like, you know how it is in New York. You play bad. You're getting booed out there. I mean, Julius Randle had a, a tough time this past offseason. Yeah, I mean, I, I think especially if you put him in New York, I mean, the, you know, New York might play every game on ESPN and TNT and just every game is prime time. And I mean, yeah, I mean, D Rose, they, uh, you know, Jalen Brunson signing this offseason. So, I mean, it's 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 tough as a Bulls fan to see the Knicks be good like that. But I mean, if you're going to send a guy like that where, you know, he walks, he wakes up out of bed and, yeah, you know, instantly is just the best guy on the court night in and night out. Like you got to put that guy on prime time and in a big market. So he's, you right. know, no disrespect to Oklahoma City, but just a little different than New York City <laughs> in the garden. Yeah. And we, we don't want to see another really good, no, nothing against OKC. I don't want to see good talents go places where they get like one televised game a month. Like let's, let's put him somewhere where the team sucked, but like, he's like a 2k he's like a creative player on 2k where you make the guy like super tall and like give him every guard ability possible like that's what it reminds me of and and you know the number two pick probably is scoot henderson i i think he played exceptional the other night as well but there's a starking difference between the same guy who's doing something but at seven five versus six four talk about living in the shadow after that <laughs> but, <laughs> right so someone so someone's got him in the back of their mind don't worry the hype will blow over but he, even even going on that the elephant in the room. This isn't the first NBA product in the Web3 space. Everybody yeah. knows about Top Shot. Top Shot had its glory. May not be at the peak of its glory anymore. D coming, you being more on the Web3 side, do you think that'll have an effect on how hesitant people are to jump into NBA right away on server? I don't think it will because I don't think the NBA really embraced SoRare because it was just a highlight machine. And I also think the biggest issue that, I mean, I, excuse me, not SoRare, Top Shot. Let me fix that here. Let me fix that. <laughs> I don't think the NBA ever embraced Top Shot because it was just a highlight machine, but it was like the endless printing of highlights, almost like what we saw in games where there was like utility tokens. Okay, like when I bought my, I bought my first highlight, that was my first like NFT. It was like $14. Um, and I was like, all right, so what the hell do I do with it? Just do nothing with it. And the weird thing is what Top Shot was trying to do was make a world where we were like, oh, you can collect these digital, these digital highlights. And they were pretty much trying to force collectibles on people versus allowing them to become collectibles because they were significant. Dude, I don't care about getting a random highlight of Lonzo Ball hitting a three-pointer uh, in a in, in you know game number 20 on the road against OKC with a no sellout crowd when it doesn't matter. What I would have cared about is like if the moments they released were significant moments, like Ray Allen's corner three-pointer against the Spurs and you know, in game six of the finals back in the Miami Heat days, or like you go out and you get John Morant's dunk against Golden State last year, maybe the game before he messed his knee up. It's like significant moments are way more impeccable. And they had those on there too, but it got to a point where it wasn't, it didn't feel like a collectible because the entire audience of people who got into it were all doing it for, oh, this is an investment. So uh, from my perspective, when you think about what utility is, they could have gone or pivoted in, in another direction, but the idea was just kind of novel. And it wasn't really, in my opinion, that well thought out in terms of thinking about how inflation and how long it really takes for people to adopt things. People look at basketball cards and they're like, this is a market that's been here. I know what the hell I'm looking at. I'm getting the same thing. I can hold it. It's it's it's, it's like really tangible. You don't get that feeling when you think about um uh, an NBA top shot. And I think that's where the true advantage is over at so rare. It's like dude, so rare could tomorrow decide, 
hey, we're making holographic cards now where not only is it the basketball player, but your Steph Curry unique card is now a highlight of Steph Curry hitting a step back three-pointer in game seven of last year's final. Congratulations. They now have the best parts of Top Shot in an actual game on top of it. Oh, no, yeah, I, I agree. And even going on that, like there's there's so many things that Sober can do. And I know sometimes people will come out and be like, oh, the Sober cards like aren't that good looking or they could be more. But it's like, yeah, the game is still really new, right? Yeah. There are ye- if if everything goes the way we all expect it to, you know, this is going to be around for a long time. They have plenty of time to do stuff like that. So really, really building right now, especially in a bear market like we are today. And Sober is not the kind of company that really spends a lot of money on marketing, yeah. which which really goes to show that they don't really care about, you know, making billions of dollars right now. Right now, they're trying to make sure that they put out a quality product and they are. There may be a lack of communication from time to time, but they are pretty involved in the community. They they listen, they yeah. they adapt, they change. You know, they do take some things in consideration. And obviously, like some things may get blown out of proportion and maybe a lot of it is noise sometimes, but they are actively there. And I think that just kind of drives the future, the future potential that Sober carries with it. And this NBA product, if done right, released at a pretty decent time at the beginning of the season. Um, it's going to be interesting the way they push it with the NBA, being that they have the license for the Players Association and the league itself. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and that licensing is just going to be like the real strong impact. I mean, imagine, you know, you pull your favorite LeBron card. He's giving you crazy numbers. To be honest, as much as I love Steph Curry, I think the card I should be looking for is Luka Doncic. That guy Ooh. is just going to put up numbers, numbers, numbers. Like, like players like that, you're going to get an instant, like you're going to get an instant boost every night you're in a tournament with those guys. Yeah, and I, I'm just going to get ahead of this now. Um, we were going through last week and talking about, um, you know, Eurobasket and naming some of the top European guys and just had a complete brain fart and completely forgot to mention Luka. So, oh man, um, glad that you brought him up. Now I remember about it, but. Yeah, um, almost yeah, got I mean, fired on week one. Yeah, that was week a, one that of the podcast. Almost, uh, almost fired. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Lucas, Lucas kind of gonna be one of the uh the show's favorite players at this point. But I mean, yeah, definitely a guy like Luca and you know, who can score, he can rebound, he can assist, you know, plays I guess mediocre at defense. So oh my goodness, really no of, defense there. Yeah, I mean it's maybe maybe late in the games if needed, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, just just fill in the stat sheet, you know, top to bottom there. So um definitely gonna be interesting to see, you know, kind of you know, how those star players kind of score, but then also a lot of those guys that are kind of, you know, role players on the team, um, you know, Finley Smith, um, I guess Jalen Brunson's now in New mm. York now, so he's not really the best example, but, um, you know, kind of how those, you know, guys that are on the team as well, playing with, you know, stars like Luca, like Giannis, like LeBron, you know, are still able to make an impact in tournaments and scoring as well. No, for sure. And I mean, for the most part, like that's where you really find the gems, the, the, the guy who's the second star that's going to really come in and play a role because a lot of the times, when there's so much defensive pressure on the first guy, that's why Jalen Brunson was so successful. I mean, he's getting, you know, simple one-on-one looks all night long. There's no help coming. He's strong. He's fast. He gets around one defender. He's going to get looks. Even him, he's a great pickup this year and so rare. And he might be a cheaper one because a lot of people are not going to be looking at him him as a first-choice point guard. But the thing I want to focus on with it is, like, where are you going to see efficiency at that position? I think he was incredibly efficient last year, uh, even better than some of the more high-volume shooters. So, It'll be interesting to see kind of how it plays out with him being in New York and now him being a number one option there. But um, I think that even when you look at teams like, you know, Boston Celtics, yes, everyone's thinking, oh, Jason Tatum's that guy. When in retrospect, you get Jalen Brown, he might be slightly cheaper. He might, you know, put up very comparable numbers. And at that point, it's like, what's the bang for your buck looking like? I And even diving down to places like, you know, Charlotte, 
a lot of people probably jumped in the LaMelo, LaMelo ball bandwagon. He's not that productive as a shooter in terms of he doesn't shoot that well. But if you think about it, Miles Bridges is cleaning up boards. He's getting easy lobs from LaMelo. Like that's a 20 and a 20 and eight, 29 guy. You're probably not even thinking of going, going on that. So as far as so rare, right, it's a trading card game. It might not be flashy, you know, like the games that like Gala or Immutable are putting out the more like almost like traditional, you know, first person shooters and stuff like that. Like can so rare compete in a market like that? Or is it or is it going to always remain its own little like sports category as far as like fantasy sports DFS goes and stuff like that? I think that so rare if they wanted to make a game, eventually they could compete their biggest, of course, like their biggest competition is 2K which has a chokehold on the basketball gaming market. But um, I think where so rare has an advantage over all of these games is the, I would say the market they're building in is very robust and flushed out. Um, it's very hard for games to get adoption when you're, um, when you're alluvium and you're trying to pull attention from league of legends and team fight tactics, because you have auto battler or you're even dead drop or one of these FPS games that is trying to take attention away from call of duty or apex or uh, Fortnite. all of these games that have so much attention and when you look at the market for a so rare, okay, you're fighting the daily fantasy market of DraftKings. But most of those people, you set your lineup and you're done. They could have multiple games that they're playing in multiple lineups. And this is a completely different experience. Um, I think DK Rainmakers has like um, some sort of NFT experience with the M NFL, but there is no one doing this in basketball. So it's like, all you have to do is build out the combination of how you take IRL experiences. Like for example, I personally would love to work with so rare and I'm down in Miami, Florida. Let me buy Tyler Harrow's card, meet up with Tyler Harrow, maybe a day before the game. We have some sort of like, you know, horse competition. And then the next day I'm at Tyler, I'm, I'm at the Miami heat opener and I'm watching Tyler Harrow, you know, brought to you by so rare. And we see how many points he gives me in a matchup. Like those, those are things that, you know, non so rare players are going to be like, Oh, I'm an NBA player. What is this? Tyler Harrow shoots basketball, plays horse with this guy. And there's this game called so rare attached to it. It's like, the way to build cultural relevance around so rare is going to be way easier than what you're going to see from other games and ecosystems because they have backing from the NBA. So whereas when you think about Twitch streamers, to get a big Twitch streamer into a game, you're going to spend a couple hundred grand probably to get them to play a Web3 game. They might still decline because it's a Web3 game. NBA players, don't they, they're going to be very much open to, oh, this company's partnered with NBA. Yeah, let's do a really cool engagement where I'm just doing what I love to do, play basketball. I have a card the same way we see like, you know, people on YouTube playing FIFA and they'll be like, all right, I'm trying to score a goal on a 67 rated goalkeeper in FIFA. I think like the, you know, there's a significance of how a game is culturally built out has a lot to do with how robust the audience and the market for it is. And I don't think there's any bigger market than NBA. I mean, you got guys who are like the fifth option on an NBA team getting close to hundred million dollar contracts. Now, like if that's not bullish enough to think that there is a market for so rare, I don't know what is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, kind of continuing off of the, you know, experience part, kind of on the baseball side, something that's very cool that they announced um, fairly recently is they, you know, minted a couple certain cards that, you know, not only did you um, get that card, um, but you also got the, you know, a, a playoff experience. So you won tickets to, you know, a certain game in the postseason. Um, I believe it was the Aaron Judge unique that just went. Um, you got tickets to the World Series, and then you also got a pregame VIP batting batting practice experience. So um, really kind of adding in those, you know, those other experiences as well um, to kind of keep going with it, you know, rather than just simply, you know, Hey, here's a card, here's how you get points. Um, we're really kind of tying in those, you know, those other experiences, you know, the tickets to games, you know, maybe getting a picture with a player. Um, you know, I know some of the, some of the guys on the baseball side got to go to, you know, a Yankees Red Sox game and tour the, uh, the, you know, offices out there. So, you know, a whole lot of other ways that you can kind of, 
take it outside of just simply a, you know, hey, here's your card, here's how you get points and just really kind of growing, you know, the community as a whole, I think is just something that's going to be huge moving forward. Yeah. And then imagine a world where eventually they get some sort of partnership with certain TV companies. Imagine you're on Twitch and you're able to like pretty much like live stream yourself watching a basketball game and like partnership with so rare or something like I think they're like the amount of experiences that can be created, like to your point are endless. And, and that's the beauty in like having a market that is robust and has utility built into the market of where your game is going to play is going to be. Yeah, no, especially especially with the NBA, right? Because baseball was cool. And yeah, like say what you will about how it came up, came up the like the middle of the season was kind of almost like a trial. But NBA, right? The demographic is younger. They already have some crypto experience, whether it was an enjoyable one or not. So it, it, it's it's only assuming that that's just going to drive the adoption for the so rare NBA product like that much faster. And look, you got guys in the NBA like Mark Cuban, who is very pro crypto. Yeah. Like there's no way that he doesn't say something about it, push it. Like imagine imagine if Drake went out and bought some Toronto uniques and then oh tweeted about it. What is that going to do to the so rare market? Like it, it'd, be, it'd be chaos, but it would be the greatest probably thing that could happen to so rare. Let Drake tweet about it. 100% agree. As far as, look, SoRare is built on Ethereum, and I'm about to get really, really nerdy because these are kind of questions that I've just had. SoRare is built on Ethereum. Obviously, after the merge and gas prices are supposed to go down, SoRare has to be eating those gas prices, right? All those gas fees and all the transactions, SoRare has to be doing something with it. Is that going to be a problem down the road? Or is there some way that they can maybe even switch over to like a layer two, like polygon or something like that to kind of reduce fees is that something that you know players should be concerned about long term or is it like as the space develops like where where does that go i don't think players should be too concerned um and the reason why i say so is because ultimately uh, i see a lot of people jumping into the space and and not seeing kind of gas prices being uh, no different than you know how uh, however other emissions or or things of that concern for the environment have happened. You know, the I, I would say the like the move to proof of stake was a was a good move for Ethereum. But we're still a ways away from I think before we see like really low gas prices in terms of pennies uh, for right. things. I do think like if they wanted to move to Polygon, it would be an incredible move. But I don't see anything wrong with them staying on mainnet because ultimately, uh, a lot of people in the future, I don't think they're going to have their first entry into SoWare by buying it through Ethereum. I think there's going to be uh, more of a, a a usage of like fiat for buying in the future. Um, so that's kind of like where my head is. And then I, I think ultimately, like the ability to use on and off ramps is going to be huge right now, people and maybe even coming up with some sort of like additional custodial wallet ecosystem for it. But I think we've like gone through the stage of gas prices being like, I remember, it, dude, you could like buy something and it'd be like 25 $15 just for gas. And it's like, geez. So <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Alec? So I'm not very big into crypto. Um, the my kind of first introduction was when I joined So Rare, um, and actually made a uh, made a trade with our uh, our producer Chris here to kind of get me some ETH to go into it. Um, just kind of you know gave him some cash for it, made the trade that way. But um, eventually did have to to kind of buy back in, add more funds there. So I believe it was MoonPay that I used. Um, so not you know super familiar with gas fees, but I remember there was kind of the you know hey if you're putting in X amount, there's this fee you know, your price is locked in for X number of minutes just because it's always changing. So, you know, not a ton of experience, but definitely kind of something to, to keep track of if, you know, those those gas prices keep doing go up or down or um, all that, especially for newer players, kind of like myself who aren't super familiar with it. Um, so definitely kind of something to, to track for sure. 
Yeah, no, and and I, and that's that's one thing, and that's kind of why I bring these questions up because from playing Soware and kind of seeing the way the community talks, a lot of them don't really even focus on the ETH. They just kind of use MoonPay, pay with their debit and credit card, and they just onboard that. So a lot of the times, you could play Soware and not even realize that you're dealing in NFTs and crypto. Is is that like yeah. a direction that Soware could should take? And yep. is is that is that how we reach mass adoption? Hundred percent. And I mean, that's like why I'm so bullish on Soware. I can talk about it without it having to be you're playing a crypto based game. Oh yeah, welcome from the so rare basketball where you can buy your favorite trading cards of your favorite players and use them to enter in tournaments to win prizes. Like didn't have to say anything in crypto and it's like people understand that so easily because daily fantasy sports and things of that sort is so prevalent. It's like the market is already built out for this versus a lot of uh, the current games. They're having to go through the discovery phase of oh Everyone's thinking gamers will like get to the point where they like NFTs. Okay, what happens if they never get to that point? What happens if all of these games launch NFTs that are like traditional video games and gamers are like, we still don't want to play it. How long before it gets to the point where, where like those companies actually go bankrupt because it's like, oh shit, we were all really wrong about the market. We got to like take a major step back. Uh, so I, I think that betting on markets that are very much flushed out have a longer chance of like contingency lifespan than going into markets where it's like unknown. We're all betting on the fact that in video games, oh, maybe they'll get to that point. But it's not 100% given. It's Maybe it's a given 20 years from now, but is your company, your startup still around 20 years from now if, they, if you don't get any main mainstream adoption? It's a big question. Yeah, no, and, and that really is a big question. I feel like that's one of the things, like one of the biggest things that kind of just like looms over people's shoulders sometimes. And then you're, you're obviously, you, you've played these games. You've seen what happened to things like Axie and stuff like that and other games around. What do whales really have that much of an effect on markets? Say early adopters got in really, really early. You know, everybody loves to call them whales. Are they are they a threat to any ecosystem? Can they be? Is there a way where it becomes a problem or is it like something that really people shouldn't really bat an eye at? I think they're a threat if they are actively like I think they're a threat if they're actively pushing out content um, that or pushing or trying to bring users into an ecosystem that they know they only benefit from. Um, for example, I know my time in Axie, dude, by the time I got into the game, which was April of last year, uh, like the token had jumped from 11 cent all the way up to like $10. So, uh, you had people who were buying axes for like pennies on the dollar when the game first came out at a point where the cheapest Axie was $300, but you know, six months prior, they were going for a dollar or less. So it's like, when you think about the fact that people have been compiling these assets and then like perpetuate regardless of the good or bad perpetuating only that people should jump in as a byproduct of creating a community where they're the only ones that are you know truly cashing out which was the case tons of retail gamers lost money off of axie infinity but i think that ultimately it has to be a place where you're in a market that's so big that whales don't it does not matter and when you think about a basketball market it could get to the point where there are multi-millions of players that own a so at least one so rare card if that happens yeah, the whale owning one or something, the whale owning a lot doesn't really matter as much because it's like the market is like very flushed out. And actually, Infinity, the biggest issue was all of the assets were at the top, all of the very, very good stuff. Um, and there was no way for users to get you know assets unless they paid a ton of money to these whales. So it's like, I think it's very much dependent on the game, the market size, and then the I would say the overall uh, demand for these assets as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think one thing that really kind of makes, you know, so very unique about that is, you know, you can have someone who will put in, you know, however much money they want, they'll go out, they'll buy every single unique card. And if you're trying to play unique, that makes it tough. But if you're, if you're someone like me, just trying to play limited, trying to play at that lower scarcity level, 
you know, that really has no impact on me. And that allows me to still play the game how I want to play. I can go yeah. out and get the players I want. So just kind of with the the wide range of players and, you know, you can build your lineup of all guys that, you know, are straightly just strict three-point shooters. You can build them on bench guys, go after stars, however you want to play. And I think it really kind of ties that that daily fantasy into it where there's an infinite number of lineups and combinations that you can do. But at the same time, if you want to go out and, you know, spend big money to get those big name stars, you're welcome to do that. And it won't really have that much of an effect on the market as a whole. I agree with that for sure. Hey, at the end of the day, markets are going to do what they're going to do. Can't for control sure. them, can't time them, can't predict them. And is that something that like so rare themselves should be focused on or worry about? Or is it not? It's not even it's not their fault. It's really not their issue. It's just it's the market's going to play out the way it wants to. I think they should let the market play out and they should focus on creating a space where mass adoption is like is like prevalent, like ship good product, create really cool integrations and marketing campaigns and things that bring people to your product and want to enter in. Make the website as easily and as acceptable as possible so people want to buy the cards and uh, you have a good sense of every user's interaction. Like because I'm building a startup, I think like one of the things I'm, I've come to understand the most is you have to have a good sense of what best in class solution looks like. For example, if you're having a website and the idea is how do we get a user to go in and create an account because we're going to give them a team for free. The first thing that they should be doing and, and tracking and focusing on is for this website, how many users get to the create an account button and stop right there and don't create an account. And if they don't create an account, what are the three to five things we need to focus on tinkering, fixing, and like updating to make it to where they are more likely to create an account? Maybe it's adding a video of LeBron James or having a basketball player, like make a video saying, welcome to so rare where you can use my card and play in your favorite fantasy games every day. Okay. They create an account. All right. Maybe the next stopping point is, okay, a user created account. They got their team. The next biggest thing is they got their team and they sat at the dashboard. They didn't enter any tournaments. Okay. What is the next biggest aspect of this and how you make it grow? Maybe we need to increase the, increase the size or area where the tournament button is so people are more willing to scan through what's happening and jump into these. All of it comes to a point where it's about metrics and user retention. And a lot of that can be determined through like the heat graphs of a website. But it's like, what are those key pillars that they need to really focus in on how they reach mass adoption? It's not going to be worrying about the market and the people that are already constituents of the game. Like they're going to play it use your time to figure out how you get new customers in and continue to iterate based on the feedback that you're getting from your early adopters and your early users. So they never feel left out. I think that's the issue would happen with switch. They got to the point where they stopped listening to their early users, early adopters and started just doing things for the sake of profit. Like for example, making it to, we have to watch seven ads before the stream comes on. I mean, if I have to watch two, dude, I'm just turning the stream off. So it's like, you know, when you take that into account, it has a lot to do with kind of user interactions and how you can create a sustainable way for them to stay doing something over it is of like saying, hey, we need to just make sure the markets are high. I mean, if markets are high, they also fall. So it's like, I think it's better to have like kind of like a, a slow, gradual increase based on cards going up in value with the amount of users coming into a, a space. Because ultimately, it's like when it crashes, you're not getting a, you're getting a, okay, it crashes a little bit. And then those influx of new users like, oh shit, these cards are cheap. I'm buying it. And it keeps it steady. It's like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but this is not good because all that can do is this, but this can just keep slowly and slowly gradually going up. Yep. Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. The hockey stick up. It's going to come down twice as fast as it went up. Exactly. And then that you piss everybody off and then you end up like the other product. Oh my God. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of other products, right? <laughs> the entire market right now while we're at it. So while I have you on that kind of like, 
working brain kind of building a company. You obviously plan on getting an MBA. You're really stoked about the product. You know, it sounds yeah. like you're really, really going to dive deep. Five years down the road, you've been playing MBA so rare for five years. Where would you like to see it? What is the so rare that you would like to see in five years? I would like to see um, a very robust game where eventually, you know, creators are also creating their own tournaments and experiences for people to like join and play in or being able to do one on. I don't know if you can. I haven't done it, but I don't know if you can do like one on one wagers. I think that would be sick. Like if you can eventually get to a point where you can do one on one wagers against other players, because I mean, the idea is how do you create a world where there can be a ton of content? And if I think about myself, like, yeah, I'm a Web3 gamer now. What's stopping me from completely pivoting into so rare? And, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Destroying, who's like the number one, like football. Uh, he's like the, the football like content creator. He likes makes like a ton of content on football. But um, what's stopping me from going into from, you know, shifting from Web3 gaming as a whole to just solely focusing on Web3 gaming and the so rare ecosystem because it's sustainable by the fact that there's also NBA behind it. You know, from my perspective, it's like this as a content creator. I'm putting myself in probably one of the worst, the worst markets for building a sustainable community ever. Not so rare. I'm talking about Web3 gaming in general, because if you think about it, none of these games have mass adoption. None of them are going to get mass adoption anytime soon. As soon as the token goes down on the game, you lose an entire following of people because they're like, oh, wow, I was only in it for the pump. And now that that's over, you got to start all over again. It'd be much more simple for me to go out and make Apex content or Fortnite content 24-7 and create a sustainable but small long-term environment. You know, we all are in Web3 for a reason. So my thoughts are, what's stopping me from making content on so rare full-time? There's always something happening in the NBA, whether it's gossip and news around like what happened with Ime Udoka or it's actual gameplay, like watching a, a potential first-round pick like, like dazzle everyone in a, in a G League game. You never what's out there but there's always something to do content on that's what makes this intriguing you know so i think in five years so rare if they continue building the way they are there is a class of content creators that are solely focused on so rare in fantasy basketball and then creating real in life experiences alongside what we see online and making it a thing of like long term collecting with nba players and getting them involved in these ecosystems and you know doing things that continue to help stimulate growth without the entire throughout the entire economy of so rare wow now i'm so five years from now i'm like <laughs> hearing all that stuff i'm like dude i didn't even think of some of this stuff and i play this stuff all i play so rare every day like dang like, there's, there's, <laughs> there's so much opportunity in this space and, and you're right like there the sport the sport has its following right you now so rare just needs to find out find a way to complement that like the fan base is there you just got to find a way to coexist in a space where you work together and push each other. Like I, I see a future. I, I see a future where so rare owns a box in every single basketball arena. And once a week or whatever, like they're just giving away prizes and tickets. And like, you can go hang out in the box with other so rare players and really connect and watch the game. And everybody can just kind of, you know, talk back and forth and just like laugh. Cause they just like lost a podium and like the last minute of the game. Like, so there's so much opportunity for them to do stuff outside like you said and i i i like to ask these questions because a lot of the times like yeah a lot of us have rose tinted glasses we've all drank the sober kool-aid and we're like so like in our bubble sometimes that we don't like really like expand out and look at it from the outside and be like oh man this is the whole thing that we're like you know nose first in every single day like is it really viable is there yeah. you know a future here and it's it's really it's really comforting when you hear other people like that are really deep in other games like that and go hey like this so rare thing is really cool. Like there's a lot here. A hundred percent agree. 
Um, so kind of transitioning away a little bit from the, you know, web three space and community space, we can just kind of go, you know, focus mainly on the, the basketball side for a minute here. Um, sure. Bryce, if you kind of talk about, you know, who your favorite team is, you know, I know you mentioned Steph Curry earlier, but if there are, you know, other guys that you're, you know, big fans of or kind of targeting or just kind of, you know, where your hoop knowledge stands kind of at this moment. What's your starting five? Oh my gosh. You, you want me to go through like the whole, the whole thing. So, I mean, as a, as a kid, I was a big Toronto Raptors fan. Uh, my dad was a Vince Carter guy. So I was a big, I, I love that. Like I was a big Let's go. fan. I stayed up all the time, knew everything about Vince. I think like back when I was like 11 or 12, I got a Twitter and like I tweeted at him one time. He tweeted back. Like I was like over the moon. You couldn't tell me Vince wasn't like the best player in the NBA back then. Cause I just loved him so much. So Vince and Kobe were like my two idols growing up. Um, and of course I was a kid. So I watched a ton of space jam, but you know, I was born in 95. So I didn't see a ton of Michael Jordan play like in the early days. Cause I wasn't, I was five or less. But um, what I will say is like, now I am like probably the biggest Steph Curry fan on the planet. I love Steph. I don't really say I have like one NBA team that I'm on hundred percent behind. Like if Steph retired, I wouldn't be a Golden State Warriors fan but for now. Like I'm, I'm rooting for Steph. And I know that's the thing with a lot of players because some people are like, oh, I'm going wherever LeBron goes. So I understand that. But um, I'm from the, the Virginia DC metro area. So the Washington Wizards would be my hometown team, but um, they're, they're horrible. I just root for Steph Curry. Uh, but if I had to like create my own starting lineup um, right now, the NBA, I'm going Luca at my one. I'm putting, I'm actually moving Steph over to the two guard uh, and having them play off of each other. Cause I think that like Luca is great with the ball in his hands and Steph can play without the ball. So I would just have him coming off of screens um, at the three. I'd go clay Thompson. I think clay is like a much more traditional two, but you put him at the three, you spread the floor, you give Luca more space to go one-on-one -on -one when he needs to. Uh, and Steph is just like a, I mean, excuse me, uh, Clay is a lockdown defender. So I'd want him at the three at my four. This is a more interesting one. And I mean, I'm putting, I guess I'm putting together a dream team here. I know a lot of people would probably say, oh, you would go out and get, you know, Kevin Durant. Because, that's what so rare is about. Yeah. It, and that's the thing. I know a lot of people say you go out and get Kevin Durant because he can score the basketball. For myself, I'm obviously going Giannis. I think, you know, shot blocking ability, strength, you got more defensive prowess. Um, and if I wasn't going to go Giannis, I probably would go Durant or Pascal Siakam. But I like Giannis in that role. Um, and then center is a tough one, but to be quite honest, I want somebody that's going to get down there. He's going to bang. He's going to mix it up. He's going to stay dirty. Uh, without a doubt, I would want to go with Joel and be there. I think he probably has the best inside outside game. And if I didn't go with Joel, then I would probably go with, um, I probably go with uh, Rudy Gobert just because I don't think you need too many scores. You would need some shot blocking ability. Uh, and you can't, if, if I go Jokic there, okay, I got Steph Curry. I got uh, Jokic and I got uh, clay. I mean, not clay. I got, Luka Doncic that all handle the ball. Like ideally I would still want some sort of synergy there. So I probably would go and beat, keep the ball spaced out down on the block. And, and then you, you have a really solid team. So uh, that's kind of like the team I would go with. If I was like, all right, I'm picking five players, put them in. Uh, if you're going so rare, so rare production, I mean, I'm going Luka at the one um, shooting guard. That's a little bit tough shooting guard. I'm probably going Anthony Edwards. I think that he gives you the opportunity to get five rebounds, five assists a game, and he's still going to put up points and be somewhat efficient. Small forward. Obviously you're going LeBron James power forward. I'm going uh, Giannis and then center. I'm going Nikolai Jokic for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you kind of mentioned the the whole Steph Curry playing off ball thing. I think, you know, something that's going to be, you know, big for people that are, you know, familiar with Sober, but not so much the basketball Yeah, um, as good as Steph is with, hit the, you know, the ball in his hands, I, you know, you could make the argument that he's better off ball um, just because he'll, he'll tire you out. He'll hit screens. Oh, yeah. That little, 
the little lock arm move he did. I think it was with Clay Thompson last year. Yeah, they like, like easy layup. I yeah. mean, he's just going to tire you out. And as soon as he gets an inch of space, I mean, it's, it's catch and shoot right away. So, you know, that's going to be something that's going to be cool to see, you know, as a, as a basketball fan, but also in so rare, how that kind of translates to, um, but kind of continuing on, you know, players. So you, you mentioned your dream team, you mentioned kind of your, some, your favorite teams. Yeah. Who is, who's the best player that you think that either no one's really heard of, or that's kind of very being undervalued, you know, Anthony Edwards, I think is a, is a solid pick because dude just going to jump out the gym yeah. and get as many shots as he want in that offense. Now getting Rudy Gobert too, is going to be huge. Um, but who's kind of one of those guys that you think really, you know, either no one's really heard of, or just simply isn't getting talked about enough for how talented he is. I think that and even though he does get talked about probably a fair amount, um, I think that uh, the guy that the guy that was just drafted from Duke by the Orlando Magics, I, his name always like slides out of my head. Paolo. I think, yeah, Paolo. I think he's going to be like he's going to be a nightmare um, in terms of like his overall efficiency. And he's so strong. He's going to be durable. I don't think you have to have to worry about him getting injured or anything like that. So I'm very Orlando, much like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to click here. I think that guy is going to be sick. And if I and if I wasn't going there, I think that um another guy. I always I always lose names, but I think that oh this De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox is a lot better point guard than he gets credit for because he plays in that crappy Sacramento offense. But I think that uh, if they can just continue to put sh- shooting guards and 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 just pieces, he doesn't need a bunch of people who can score the basketball around him. He needs shooters and people that can space because he's so quick. I think you know. He's going to be very, very good this year. So those are two people that I'm like currently like on the lookout for. Um, and then, you know what I'm saying? If you want to go like deeper down, like, of course, I, I think Jordan Poole is exceptional talent. He's going to do a lot more this year. Um, I think Jalen Brunson's going to be great. Uh, so like, those are just some that I'm like, all right, if I had to pick some players that are going to like just, and, and they're not the, the guys you think about the flashy guys that are going to do the numbers. Also Dylan Brooks down in Memphis. He's a, he's a really, really good player. And I think in a, in a different offense, Dylan Brooks is a 20 to 25 point per game guy. I think he was 20 a game last year. I think he could push that number if he wasn't playing alongside John Moran. Is, is, is this Zion's year? Is, is Zion oh, coming hard and heavy? If it, he doesn't get hurt, man, Zion is 20. He's 25 a game easy if he doesn't get hurt. The question is how many games are you going to get out of him and what type of shape he's going to be in? But I, dude, I like Zion. I think Zion's a, a really good player. I just, I think he's like a glorified version of Brandon Bass, to be completely honest, in terms of strength wise, but he has talent and he has skill, but I would much, I'd like Zion a lot better if he was 25 pounds less for sure. Without a doubt. Uh, have you, have you seen the new pictures? Has he, has he gotten good. smaller? Zion's cut. He looks good he, right now. Really? Yeah. He, look it up. The pictures from media day, he came back. He's cut. He's lean. He looks motivated. He looked great last night. Oh my God. He, the he, Bulls. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dude, yeah. He looks like, like, he's, you keep him healthy with CJ and oh, they're, I mean, they're dealing down there. I think Zion spent a little too much time on Twitter. You know, he, <laughs> he has something to prove. He's looking, he's looking really lean. Good for him. Yeah. If, I mean, if he's that, yeah, that is the pictures I'm looking at now. Yeah. He's going to be, he's going to be a nightmare, uh, especially with like CJ McCollum, who's a very good creator with the basketball. He's going to be able to get a lot more space to do what he wants. Like that, he's looking great. <laughs> he was he was a chunky little thing previously. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't watch the game last night, but they uh, the Pelicans played the Bulls last night. Granted, it's the first game of the preseason, so you know don't want to look into it too much. But Zion kind of popped I mean, off. Zion looks good. Like he's he looks like he's in shape. He looks like he's ready for the season to come. And I mean, look out down in Nola. I think that's going to be a very sneaky team, especially with how Josh Hart closed the season out last year and you know making the play in game. So. 
I mean, you get Zion healthy for at least most of the season there. I mean, you kind of get him rest where needed, but I mean, you keep him healthy and that team can do wonders. Yeah, I, I agree with it because they have a lot of talent on that team. A lot of young guys, they got a veteran in CJ who's going to give them 20 a night. I think last year, uh, he, I mean, he was a little bit less efficient because he was playing on that type of a team, but um, it was incredible seeing kind of how he's, how he's going to progress in that lineup. And I think he'll be a lot better. Even last year, didn't they, they almost, um, they almost snuck in the playoffs. Yeah. I think if I remember correctly, they, they either lost in the play in game or they yeah. were one place out of the playing game, but um, granted they had to deal with a lot of injuries and, and most of that was without Zion. So, I mean, you put him back into that lineup and you give everyone else another year under their belt. And I mean, look out. hundred percent agree. It's going to be exciting season. All right. Who's making the finals? Uh, Golden State. Um, Golden State. And you're probably going to, people are going to question me for this. I'm going to say Golden State and Milwaukee and okay. Golden State beats Milwaukee in six. Ooh, I, I think that sick. like, when you think about the overall talent level across the board for Golden State, you're bringing the consensus best shooter to ever live back consensus probably or arguably second best shooter to ever live back play with another year under his belt knee is going to be in much better shape Achilles in much better shape um small I mean you're coming back with Draymond Green you're coming back with Jordan Poole you're coming back with probably one of the best wing defenders that we've seen over the last 10 years and Andrew Wiggins who completely put on a clinic last year in the playoffs um I think you go beyond that and then you look up at oh who's that young guy that you know, is Draymond Green's understudy, but plays a bit more like a, a young Giannis. You got, um, what's his name? Uh, Jonathan Kaminga. Then you go back and you bring back Wiseman and uh, Kevin Looney. So from my perspective, it's like, are they the deepest team? Yes. I, you know, I don't think you can argue it. I think that in the Western Conference, you know, LeBron's going to have something to say about it. I don't think they're going to have that great of a record this year. They're going to make the playoffs inch in and, this, and the Suns are going to be there too. But I think as a whole, Golden State just has way too many pieces, if healthy. And on the other side, I think that Eastern Conference, uh, the biggest thing that's going to, I think Boston could have went back there, but the biggest thing that's going to hurt them, losing Delano Gallinari, he was going to be a big piece of that team this year. Big shooter, big stretch, big, who can get rebounds. Uh, additionally, I think losing the coach there is going to be, or at least for the year, it's going to be a lot of too. chemistry issues. Uh, when you look at Miami Heat, they do a lot, but ultimately Giannis is getting better year over year at shooting, so I don't think the Heat will be too much of a factor. The biggest issue they have is, I mean, their wings. Tyler Harrow in the playoffs is probably one of the poorest defenders I've seen, so I don't see that changing this year. Uh, they didn't get better at the guard position, really. So I think they still, you know, push for, you know, semifinals or, or Eastern Conference finals. But I don't see anyone as being as a robust team as the Bucks. But then you have Brooklyn where it's like, OK, you have Kyrie. That's Irving. a wild card. I think it depends on Ben Simmons. If Ben Simmons is giving you your 15 points a night, seven, eight assists, I think Brooklyn walks to the NBA finals with ease and then gets beat by Golden State in six or seven. But if he can't provide any offensive prowess for that team, they're going to struggle. And, and I think it makes sense. What about you guys? Let me know. I want to know the finals Alex. predictions. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Steph Curry fan. So definitely biased when I think golden state's coming back, but I mean, to everything that you mentioned, plus, I mean, getting back James Wiseman for mm. this year, I mean, just, just how he looked in the preseason, how he looked in limited runs last year, like bringing a guy like that off the bench, or, I mean, if they start him, whatever they do with him there um, is going to be huge, but I mean, I don't know. I, I think Philly kind of having, you know, Harden having a year under his mm. belt now and Philly is going to be a tough team to beat. Um, obviously, Giannis and Milwaukee, you know, they, they've they stayed the same. Um, Brooklyn's a huge wild card, especially. So, I mean, I, I think the East is definitely wide open because you can kind of relate that even the Hawks are pretty good now. Um, I mean, you can kind of pick three or four teams out of a hat there. And if you said, hey, this team's in the NBA finals come, you know, June, I'd be like, I'd believe it. 
So, I mean, it really just kind of depends, you know, on, on who stays healthy, I think, and kind of how that, that playoff seating comes up too. But I mean, I think spot on, I think kind of, I'm going to have to agree with, you know, Golden State and Milwaukee. Oh, one of the same vibes. (laughs) Denver Sixers in the final game seven. Denver's going to surprise everybody. And a beat is going to pop off this year. Damn. You're you're going to sleep on the nuggets. Don't sleep on the nuggets. Jamal Murray did look really good in that first game back. So, I mean, Jokic having him back and just a, a true point guard for them is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. He's such a shifty guard. I mean, you go look back at the bubble, the way that he played was like exceptional. Of course, every like there were players that were doing things well beyond their ability. Uh, I remember TJ Warren out there looking like Kobe Bryant and I Vince mean, Carter combined. But, yeah. you know, when you think about like Jamal Murray, you're talking about a guy that is not only incredibly talented, but to your point, when you think about the players that have that kind of Steph Curry style, like back and forth and shiftiness, he's one that I think if if I'm putting any money on it, they can stretch the floor just as well as them. And they have size like Michael Porter and all those guys. But dude, it's just hard to bet against my, against my boys. Like it is very hard to bet against Golden State. It's tough. And I mean, they've got the experience too, which I mean, you know, people kind of discredit it, I feel like at times, but having that experience of, you know, Draymond, Steph and Clay being there for, I mean, what is that? We're almost on 10 years of them all being together here. So, you know, them being together for the longest time and, you know, having all those, that final experience under their belt is just something you can't really, you can't really teach. You can't give it to someone unless you have it. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things when you're looking at that matchup report and it's something you got to always keep an eye out. Hey, for sure. And, and Draymond's on a contract year, so you never know. Maybe I don't he, think they bring, don't think they bring him out. back next year. I don't think they bring him back. I think that, um, I think that they keep him for this year, win a championship, let him walk and Kaminga steps into that lineup next year. I don't think they're going to pay him the max that he's looking for. And he probably deserves it because he is the heart and soul and the grip behind that team. Sometimes he plays like a bonehead, but I think he gives that team so much balance because they're all finesse and flash. And then you got Draymond who's just down there. Like he's, he's, he's the Dennis Robin, you know, he, he does it all. You don't have to worry about, you know, the, the, the opponent's opposing team, having someone who's going to run over top of you. Draymond's going to go out every single night and punch someone in the mouth. And that's what every single team needs one of. So good old bad boys. But Alec, <laughs> Alec, do you have any other questions for Bryson? No, man, I'm all good. I'm a real quick though, before we do go, I'm glad you said, you know, Draymond's going to come out and punch guys in the mouth. Cause it's funny. You get that literally and figuratively too. You never know. It's just kind of a, a flip of the coin and, and you're going to literally, see yeah, <laughs> literally, <laughs> right. He might get ejected or he might give you 10, 10 and 10. And the 10 is not going to be points. It's going to be blocks. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. And that's why as good as he is, he is not going to make my silver lineup because I don't need that inconsistency. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't, I don't need it. I'm trying to win. I'm trying to win some games. I'm telling you, I'll tell you this, like six years ago, six, seven years ago, you want to know who was in my silver lineup? No, probably like eight years ago, bro. Vucevic would have been in my first pick. I do was is. getting 20 and 20 every single night, almost in Orlando. Like he was putting up numbers for absolutely no reason. Orlando was going nowhere, but Vuce was going to put up numbers. Worst trade of my life. <laughs> but anyways, Bryson, thank you so much for coming to the Sober of the States podcast. It was a pleasure having you. Real quick, do you have anything going on? Anything you want to promote? Anything you want to do? Just give our listeners where they could find you, where they could follow you, all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you can find me on Twitter at Bryson. Uh, you can also find me on Twitch at Bryson as well. Add the underscore on Twitter. Um, I'm starting this new thing with my with my streams where I actually like launch po-ops every single week. Uh, the pull-ups are absolutely free and they get you into NFT giveaways that I host that week. So pretty much your ability to just jump in the Twitch stream and catch the airdrop, you can get involved in any of the giveaways that I give away that week. 
Last month, I think we did over $1,000 worth of NFT giveaways across wow. Dead Drop and Blankos and a number of different games. So it's going to be sick um, to, to do a lot more across the entire space. But yeah, it was a pleasure being one. I love talking basketball. And I will definitely be giving away so rare cards. I don't know. If I can't remember. Is there a feature where you can send cards to other players? Yeah. Uh wow. Yeah, it took it took a while for the MLB side to get it, but yeah, uh, yeah it's definitely a feature in silver, and it, it'll definitely be a thing for sure. Oh, I, I'll I'll be giving away cards minus a unique curry. You know, once I get that <laughs> thing, I don't I don't even know if I can afford a unique curry right now. Uh, but Aaron Judge just went for uh ninety four thousand. I think no, I can't afford yeah. a unique curry. Fuck it, <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening unless so rare, so rare. If you're looking to sponsor somebody, unique curry, I'll I'll do content for seven years in a row. Don't tell so rare that. I, be, I better I better see that name in the auction list. I better see it. I'm going to be Listen, looking for it, it. As soon as it goes above $5,000, I'm out. Well, now the market knows. <laughs>